Malcolm Holmline is with us. He is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update. Malcolm, welcome back to JM in the AM. Hello? Yeah, Malcolm, you there? I'm here. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, we'll start by acknowledging the fact that uh, there were too many funerals, too many shiva homes in Israel uh, this week. We know... Um, and we continue to uh, read and are in touch with people who uh, express the um, the sadness, the tension, the difficulties that are going on in Israel at this time. And we ask everybody to continue to pray for the safety and security of the people of Israel and the safety and security of the soldiers of the IDF and those who are protecting the Holy Land. Uh, Malcolm, it's been a very challenging week, to say the least. Um not quite sure where to begin, but uh, maybe we should start with the progress of the IDF. You're in touch with people who can tell you about how this operation is going, whether in fact the mission to eliminate these tunnels and to uh, and to curtail the possibility of terror and missiles being targeted at Israel. Uh, you could tell us what kind of progress has been made. How would you evaluate the uh, operation so far? Okay, so... Let me try to take each part of that. First, uh, I want to encourage people as well to come on Monday to the rally uh, at Nag Hammarskjöld Plaza. It's really important that we make uh, this a success. We are simultaneously also holding a National Leadership Assembly in Washington with leaders of the administration, the top leaders of Congress, Israeli ambassador, many others, a tribute to the IDF. Um, we are working on many fronts, and last night I attended an amazing rally in uh, Englewood with a packed house, where they said more than 1,300 people. Uh, there are rallies going on across the United States in what is the most unique manifestation, I think, of support that we have seen, where gatherings of 1,000, 2,000 people are taking place in small and large cities and communities uh, literally every single day, many of them. And we will document this all when it's uh, when it's over. So there is strong grassroots support. I had a privilege again to speak to the Christians United for Israel convention in Washington, and to see the thousands of Christians from all over the United States so devoted, so excited, so cha- charged to stand with Israel. It's just amazing, and. The, the message to the people of Israel, especially after what we saw with the FAA that, uh, and the banning of some flights, that they are not alone, that we are standing with them. I hope people will continue to go, but that also the manifestations here are reported and people get to know about it. In terms of how it's going, I think it's really going much better than the media reports would indicate. This is a systematic approach. I think they found more than they anticipated in terms of the infrastructure of tunnels, more than 60, according to accounts that are still being given, maybe more. Um, A significant number of them have been destroyed, not all. They're going after those that go into Israel. The others are a network underneath cities, homes, um, hospitals, mosques. Uh, It it, it stretches underneath the whole communities, whole uh, sections of cities. In fact, sometimes even under old cities. And blowing them up would entail perhaps endangering all of the buildings, etc. So that's for the experts to determine what uh, what gets destroyed, what gets sealed, what they have to set as a priority. 
uh, but they're not done, and they, they need more time to finish this search for all of these uh, tunnels. And you know that there's a story, again, we don't have full verification, but I think it has a lot of veracity, that there was going to be an attempt to send thousands of, sold, of uh, terrorists on Rosh Hashanah night this year through these tunnels that open up in different segments along, from Gaza into Israel, some of them right alongside, even underneath the homes of Israelis, uh, who had reported hearing these strange noises, but this is 20, 30 feet below ground, and people, you know, did not, uh, didn't detect exactly what was going on. And it's a miracle that these were uncovered before they could carry out this kind of a dastardly attack, which would be very hard to respond to if simultaneously 20 tunnels, let's say, are activated and the people pour out of them. Maybe this is a good time to note, by the way, that the enemy has been very impressive. Uh, we're not dealing with the same type of enemy uh, from years ago. We, you know what I mean. Uh, the State of Israel, the IDF, is dealing with a, a different type of element here between the cleverness, the booby-trapping, the tunnel-building, the, the dressing up as Israeli soldiers, the, the tactics are, are much different and much more sophisticated than in the old days. Even though a lot of what they do is very primitive still, you are quite right, and it shows how much preparation went into all of this. They started digging these tunnels the day after the last war. They have fired, I think, now to 2,330 or 40 rockets, which is an average of 140 a day over 16 days. They have activated this elaborate network for cross-border uh, attacks. Um, they, these were used by Hamas terrorists to infiltrate into Israeli territory, if you remember, with uh, Gilad Shalit. But that was nothing like the ones now. These tunnels, uh, one of them, has 500 tons of cement. If you remember a year ago, the international community was demonstrating for humanitarian cement, meaning that Israel was borrowing it, saying this would be used for rocket launchers and bases and for tunnels. And the international community kept putting more pressure and more pressure, and finally Israel relented. And we see what happened. I mean, I've got new respect for cement. I never knew they were humanitarian. But the, the, the fact is that you see how the international community forced Israel's hand and how the Gaza terrorists, uh, in fact, used and exploited every one of these opportunities. Right. Not to overstate the obvious, but we know that uh, Israel left Gaza nine years ago. Before nine years ago, there were no such thing as these tunnels, correct? Uh, no, I think that there were uh, there were attempts to build uh, tunnels, but nothing on the scale or the... Because Israel had somewhat of a control over the Israel area. Israel had full control, and, right. and at least you, you had uh, the presence you know, even along the border. And, and part of the problem was that uh, the Egyptians didn't really do a, a, a good job under Mubarak. They did some, mm -hmm. and under Morsi, they reversed it, and they opened the tunnels, and they kept, they allowed in and even supplied a lot of the material that we're now fa finding. And under President Sisi, they, we have seen the reversing of that policy with many, many, right. maybe a, a thousand tunnels from Egypt to to um, to Gaza closed. And by the way, one of the reasons that I was told that, that they couldn't detect you know, the movement of people to do this work is that they did not use Hamas members. They hired the families from Rafah who used to who made their living building the tunnels into Egypt. And they moved them to do this work. 
and they start inside people's homes, so you can't really detect it. And they even used small construction equipment to do the digging out because to go a mile in it is yeah, I mean, a mile and a half. It's a huge amount of work. You know, we, we joke about the subways, but if you look at these tunnels and the videos of these tunnels, I mean, they're, they you, you need real machinery to do this. Somebody said they should hire them for the 2nd Avenue subway. Exactly, yeah. This thing would be done in a couple of it, weeks. It's unbelievable the progress that they make, because you said the last war, so I'm saying to myself, uh, when you mean the last war, I assume you mean the last operation in Gaza, right, against right. Hamas. But obviously, even way before that, some of these tunnels were, you know, started to be formed and it may, may have already been, been, there may have been completed tunnels Israel didn't get to in the last war. Uh, it's really based on the Hezbollah experience in the Lebanon war. After the first Lebanon war and in the second, if you remember, they had this infrastructure of tunnels, which made it very hard for Israel to, to ferret them out and, uh, and, and doing so at the same time while trying to avoid civilian casualties because they built it into civilian areas. But they built this whole extensive network. I mean, you could live three months underground. There's cooking and food and uh, cooking facilities, food, everything else is there So in, in Lebanon. And they replicated that, which shows the Iranian link here, that they brought probably the experts and others to teach them how to do it. Uh, and by the way, there are tunnels underneath our border with Mexico that Hezbollah had a hand in. This is not, this is becoming a universal phenomenon, but the... And, and they use it to smuggle all sorts of things, whether it was in Gaza or in Lebanon. Um, uh, Lebanon, not not as much, but in Gaza to bring the, uh, human trafficking, drugs, weapons, let alone uh, black market foods and stuff. I mean, Israel is, is, you know, the media likes to paint it like they're up against a bunch of terrorists. Israel's up against countries. They're up against countries in this war. Funding and equipment and men, as you just mentioned, and workmanship from places like Iran and Lebanon and God knows where else. It is, uh, they are up against a network. If you look, ISIS today announced that they uh, formally said that they are in Gaza. We've known all along that they were in Gaza, uh, though I, we don't think of very big presence. But you have Pidge, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, Israel targeted significantly this the last days, uh, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Iran. Uh, Hamas, which had a split with Iran, but still obviously got a lot of weapons. Remember the Class C ship, which was intercepted, which was coming, an Iranian project, you know, starting in Syria, going through Iraq and to Iran to go to Sudan and from the Sudan into the Sinai and into Gaza. Um, so you're right. It's it's a much more complicated. People, you know, call them militants, which is a word that makes me crazy because it, it so diminishes and denudes the real significance of these terrorists and killers. The um, and and there is a network of support. So whether it's Boko Haram or whether it's uh, ISIS or whether it's Hezbollah or Hamas, and even though they're not necessarily all directly linked, they all part of this international network, and people move between countries. We know that in Syria, that fighters in Syria have moved right. to Gaza, or people who were in Libya moved to Syria. Are, are these West Bank, quote-unquote, West Bank protests continuing this afternoon in Israel, and are you afraid that there could be an intifada-type element that's now going to creep into this whole operation that Israel's going to have to contend with? There have been threats of, of the inciting and intifada. The belief is that the people don't want it. They know the price they paid for it last time, the Palestinians in the West Bank. Um, but the, um, the the danger here is that you have an endless supply of people, especially young people. It's a summer. 
and most of all, this weekend is the uh, was declared by Khamenei as Al Quds weekend, I mean, which is the reference to Jerusalem, the liberation of Jerusalem, and it's always the last weekend before the end of Ramadan, which of course is on Rosh Chodesh, so we we can track when Ramadan ends <laughs> generally. So the that that could and, and people you know have been fasting during the day and eat at night. So now you're going to go back to the normal routine, which could well mean that we will see an escalation in some of these activities. But I think Israel uh, is and better be prepared for it because you could have, this is one of the nightmares we've always talked about, that you could have a march of thousands of people uh, onto various sites. You know, hopefully this will be contained. You know, uh, I'll never forget this from the Yom Kippur War as a kid. You know, everyone, everyone expected six days later it would be over. You know, like that was, that was the benchmark for wars at that time. I can't believe it. It's day seven. It's not over yet. You know, in reference, of course, to the six day war. And I think one of the things people have to stop focusing on is it seems that everywhere you turn, eh, another few, Israel needs another few days, should be over by the end of the next week. You know, how much longer can it take? I think it's time to realize at this point that Israel's in for the long haul, uh, both, both from the way they're approaching this, in terms of you know going in on the ground, not wanting to uh, to to stop before the job is done, this could be this could take a while. Uh, the, the completion, uh, the total completion. I, I believe that we will see a ceasefire within days, unless there's some untoward action. You know, the international community uh, has doesn't can tolerate fifty thousand people being killed in a day or two. They they have a harder time tolerating a thousand people for fifty days, mm. and then the inter- and when it comes to Israel and the international community builds up the animosity. You notice that nobody talks about the fact that five or six times the number of people were killed in Syria during the same period of this conflict than uh, were killed in the in the conflict with the with the, uh, Hamas. Uh, that uh, six hundred and some people or eight hundred people now, maybe a thousand in Iraq have been killed and you don't see any movements on resolutions and uh, as we saw this week the human rights council of the united nations in the typical hypocrisy with only the united states voting against it and uh, making a very strong statement by ambassador powers uh, that uh, the, uh, the europeans mostly uh, abstained but uh, you know a remarkable demonstration of cowardice again yet they treat israel it's not a higher standard it's truly the double standard it's uh, you know, we see the media's coverage and how they portray without any verification of facts, without any attempt to create context. I heard it again this morning uh, on several uh, broadcasts. First of all, some of them only mentioned the rockets. Last night, rockets flew over Tel Aviv, Ashkelon. You had many more. They, when when uh, 2,500 rockets have been fired at a civilian population, and yet, in most of the broadcasts today, they don't even mention anymore. It's Israel's <laughs> war against Hamas. It's as if Israel just went, decided one day to cross over and and pursue this terrorist uh, organization, declared terrorist organization by the United States, Europe, and the rest of the world for all of their activities. Well, their media arm is doing very well. And they have a lot of accomplices. I agree with that. But they're doing much better than they used to in the old days. I'll tell well, you I would that say that Israel is doing much better than it did in the, in the past. Its spokespeople are much more articulate, both those here in the United States and, and in Israel. The information flow is is uh, very good. The the fact is, though, that when you start against a built-in bias, it, whether it's the underdog, whether it's the weaker party, whatever excuse they want to come up with, the fact is 
that there is a bias, that it is, it, it is not something you can simply overcome. And, you know, they, they have more active uh, support, I would say, in, in many places. But Israel has more active support. All of these rallies. But when you have a cla- the other side is willing to engage in violence in their clashes, and that's what the media wants. It wants blood and gore. It wants to be able to show blown-up buildings. But you'll notice that they never show a Hamas fighter, because Hamas gave the orders that you can, picture, you can take pictures of the civilians, but you can't picture any Hamas fighters. New York Times never had a picture of a fighter from, from Hamas, and nor do you see it in any of the media broadcasts. Are they hidden? Nobody knows where they are. Israel's killed a couple hundred of them, so they found them. The answer is that, that's, that they, they abide by the rules because they know that you can do whatever you want to Israel. It's a democracy. The next day you're out there broadcasting and, and being able to continue lying. When it comes to the Hamas, you lie one, you, you broadcast once that they don't like, and right. that's the end. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Malcolm Holmline is with us. Rally is Monday, 12.30 p.m., 47th Street, 2nd Avenue, New York City. Find every excuse to be there. 12.30 p.m., Monday, 47th Street, 2nd Avenue in New York City. Um, well, I, I was in Israel Tuesday and... Uh, now, before my kids went to Israel this summer, I said to them, if you're in it, uh, it's a lot less obvious to you. And you know what that means, Malcolm. You've been to Israel a million times, including times like this. And I was in a red alert, and I and three of my flights were canceled because of the FAA. God bless them. But there's a it, there's a, a stick-to-itiveness of getting through the day in Israel and having things be as normal as possible that is just so admirable, it's incredible. And that was the feeling that we had there. And I would hope that you'll join me. And, and again, we're so careful, both of us, in not telling people that they got to go because, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be, you know, the, the person who was, you know, who then they come back and, and, and blame for whatever. But we have to at least acknowledge and remind people of just how incredible it is there and how it's not, you know, when you're thousands of miles away, it seems much more difficult and much more uh, horrible than than it actually is. Uh, if you have trips planned, keep them on the calendar. I don't know what else to say. We have to continue to encourage people, you know, to, to make their own decision, obviously, but to, to, to continuously remind them how amazing Israel is. You, you can't say it better than that, and... To know the impact is not just economic. The hotels are empty, restaurants are empty. Many, some of them close, and their employees don't come into work. And that means the suppliers to these places are also in, in situations of distress. It means that the employees of the suppliers and those who are the farmers who grow the produce that go to the suppliers. You have to look at the whole chain of impact. And tourism is not just related to directly to those institutions, but the secondary and tertiary impact throughout the economy. Secondly, the, the psychological impact of Israel being alone, that they don't see people. They say, sure, the first test, and everybody loves to come here and say, look what we built, and then the first test, they're not there. So there are many solidarity missions going. People should consider uh, joining one of them or join, going to visit your relatives in Israel. And it's quite remarkable. When we went to the South last week, and I went to encourage people, they encouraged us. 
when we went to give them support. They were so busy giving us support. <laughs> and we took a group in Ashkelon to, to dinner with the mayor, and uh, they said it was the first time that they've had any break since this war began, 16 days, 18 days of, of this, because even before they were under some... Right. So the presence makes a difference, and it sends a message to the world that Israel's not alone. If the FAA can do what they did and can bar travel and everything, they know what to call it, what the impact is, and I don't believe that it was politically motivated, at least we don't have information that it was, but it certainly had a political impact. And I think the reversal was... Would you at least agree that it was kowtowing to terror? I think it gave the terrorists a victory that they could boast. I think it, it will invite more attacks on international airports because they see that this is a, 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 a target that gets, uh, uh, that gets attention. When a lot was targeted yesterday, was that because there's an airport there? Uh, no, not, they, they periodically fire uh, in different uh, areas and different uh, because usually the fire on a lot comes out of the out of the Sinai, not out of Gaza. Uh, so, it, but it's very rare. And and what uh, one other point? Within five minutes, you, you have to stay in your car after the uh, alert is over, because these bombs are filled with shrapnel and ball bearings, and they can still. So they, everybody is supposed to stay still for a little while afterwards. But instantly, life is back to normal. It's as if nothing happened. People are so used to it. People are accommodated. To, people can sleep through them already, uh, through the alerts, because people have told me that it's occurred to them, that the, the, this is, these weapons are intended to do as much damage to human beings, and in the most horrific way, clearly a violation of international law, and yet the Human Rights Council charges Israel is potentially being guilty. They acknowledge that maybe Hamas is, but Israel's the one that they target. And uh, so I go back to the idea that the isolation of Israel is terrible. We're seeing protests now across uh, Jordan. We're seeing others. So this is going to be escalating. Uh, you saw in Turkey how, how things have deteriorated there for us. Uh, and we're worried about Jewish communities in these countries, worried about what's going on in Europe. Uh, you know, we're trying to cover all of these these bases at one time, and it's not easy. By the way, someone told me yesterday that the Iron Dome was created to actually disintegrate the rocket, but it's not working exactly, you know, the way they hoped at this very. Not that there's any complaints about the Iron Dome, but I'm just saying that it was actually built to make sure there would be no shrapnel, and that eventually. In many cases, there is limited shrapnel. Uh, I know people have told me in Tel Aviv and places like that. It all depends on the na- where they hit. Right. And, apparently, it and depends it on how the to, right how the rocket hits the other rocket. That's how the right. and it, and it's made to be head on, and that's when the, supposedly it disintegrates. And if it's not head on, then you'll see more shrapnel. Uh, yeah, listen to me, the expert on rocket attacks. All I can tell you is that I never knew you were yeah. such a physicist. God bless the Iron Dome. That's all I can tell you. Absolutely. And of course, of course, God bless the the ultimate and Iron God Dome. God blessed us with the Iron Dome. He certainly did. Um, the, the FAA thing. I don't know. I know you're saying it's not politically motivated, but boy, you know, there were there were a lot of statements by some prominent people who were alluding to the fact that it was likely politically motivated. And by the way, I would assume all these rumors about the Netanyahu discussions with Washington regarding the FAA are completely false, and that there probably was no discussion regarding the decision other than Israel expressing, you know, outrage that they would go ahead and cancel the flights. I would say that we we did have discussions and. 
we went public on this right away. Yeah, but the rumor is that the Prime Minister of Israel threatened the United States. No, no, the President of the United States didn't threaten yeah, the United States. Yeah, I figured. He did express in very strong terms their objection to the ruling because that it gave a victory to the terrorists, because it hurt the traffic into Ben-Gurion uh, Airport, and because he felt it wasn't justified. And I think that that... Uh, that th- that was the extent of it. He may have raised it with uh, Secretary Kerry when he was in Israel. Uh, I'm sure he did, in fact, or others. And I'm sure the Israeli ambassador to the U.S. expressed the concern about uh, this move. By the way, I got to tell you, you know, I saw it firsthand. The the Israeli people in the airport are informed that their flights are canceled. They leave and go home. Very little, you know, you know how you'd, you'd think that some people would be freaking out, yelling and screaming at everybody? I saw it firsthand. Very, very little of that. It's amazing how, you know, as, as tough as they are, how flexible they know they have to be because of the situation, how they know that they're at war and anything could happen at a moment's notice. And, and of course, they thank God that unlike many of their brothers and sisters are not losing children in Gaza and that their biggest inconvenience is missing a flight. In the whole country, how few incidents there are, how people are tolerant, how they reach out to one another, the kind of unity that this has evoked in Israel. And I hope there will be more manifestations from every sector, every sector, to show that they are part of this effort and part of the war. And then we could start with Monday's rally. Every sector should be there. Well, that's from here. I meant, I was talking about in Israel. Oh, yeah, good Certainly point, sir. here. Right. But here I see it. I see who comes to the rallies and the events that I've spoken and I've attended. I mean, it's across the board, and many non-Jews, by the way, many non-Jews, and 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 Christians in Israel were five thousand non-Jews, um, mostly who 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 came together. It, it and depth of the manifestation. I only wish everybody could experience it once to see what real Islam was, what such such real emotion and dedication is like. And but I see it at the rallies. I saw it last night in Englewood. The crowds were so. Uh, responsive and, and so committed, you could sense it. I drew energy. I was exhausted last night, and then I had to still go to the studio, and it was amazing. By the way, on the topic of different sectors and all that, if you pay careful attention, and you have to sometimes pay very careful attention, because believe it or not, there's some people who don't like the publicity, there are certain Hasidic Shurabanim, and rabbis in general, who are spending a lot of time in hospitals with Chayalim, with soldiers, and it should be acknowledged, as you just said, and it'll be very interesting to see, and I hope, I've got to be careful what I say here, but <laughs> all I'm saying is that we, we should acknowledge that across the board, there are certain people who take pitching in very seriously, doing whatever they can. I, I want to tell you something, Nahum. It's a very important point. I have a good friend who runs Beaker, as it's called him, for uh, the Belzer Rebbe. And the Belzer Rebbe instructed him, and he and, and we came down to stay road. There he was, a Hasidic guy, Monty Freed, with a whole crew. They had been along the border giving out food and candies and, and support to the soldiers, going from one place to the other, and were exactly in the place where the volunteer was killed just minutes before him. Right. And these guys go every day. They're down there, and many, many others. People don't know the level of volunteerism and the the degree of involvement of people, and uh, absolutely, I think that that part of the story has to be told. I hope that it will be widespread. I hope that there will be manifestations to show the support for the Chayalim from every sector, 
and in whatever way we do it, whether we learn, whether we fight, whether we clean the streets, whatever, everybody has to show. And here, we have to be careful. There are a lot of people who make appeals for stuff that is not needed, and on the other hand, I think that there will be a need for a lot of support for families. There are, there are 33 now. One more was killed today. Uh, 33 dead. Many of those families will, will, will be in need of assistance after the war. But and I, I'm very upset that there are people who exploit these circumstances. Um, uh, you know, the IDF says that many of the things uh, that supposedly people are collecting for, they don't need. Every soldier gets vests this time. They were much better prepared. Um, so people should be careful, but there will be a need, and we have to show these families afterwards that it doesn't end when the fighting ends, that we stand with them all the time. Yeah, no question about it. Um has the United Nations issued any official condemnation of Israel in the last few days? Sure. And any this, statements against Israel? And this is because of yesterday's episode with the uh, the UN school building, or it had, had to do with other uh, aspects as well? Well, let me just tell you, because this is getting so much attention. By the way, you know, the, the Iranian speaker announced that they had given Hamas the technology it was using and how... They, that because um, of what they have taught the Hamas terrorists, that they're able now to manufacture uh, the, the weapons, include, including some of the long-range missiles, within Gaza. They don't have to import them. And he was boasting about it. So if somebody, the parliament, the speaker of the parliament, so this, uh, frankly, ought to be something that's a war crime. You want to trace it? Here's a good example. But anyway, the, the, the UNRWA school has gotten so much attention First of all, Israel has avoided all of these uh, targets. UNRWA long has been a base for incitement against Israel. We've complained about it. We've talked to the secretaries generals. We've, we, over the years, we've done a lot to try and highlight this. They were using them for storage. There is no doubt because the UNRWA itself announced it, even though today now Hamas is denying it and saying this is all, of course, an Israeli plot. And then they turned them over, according to reports of the local police, which is like giving them back to Hamas and Secretary General is supposedly uh, investigating it. But what they don't tell is that Israel gave warnings over and over again to leave the building because they knew that it was being used. They uh, exploit all the UNRWA buildings in the Gaza Strip. Stores of Hamas rockets uh, were discovered in the two schools, not just the one. And uh, UNRWA admitted that they were found. Uh, and they said, and the Secretary General said, well, this turns them into military targets, endangering the people who are, are staying there. Hamas is continuing to, doing, to do war crimes every minute of this conflict and, and throughout the year in the way that it has built this infrastructure and where they try to use civilians. And people then question the whole charge about uh, human shields. It's no question about human shields. It's evident. They do it. They told the people, go up in the building. And supposedly people try to leave the UNRWA building when Israel warned them, and they didn't let them. Hamas didn't let them leave the, the building. And there was fighting that was conducted in Syria, and there's no evidence that Israel did it yet. This could be a Hamas anti-tank uh, group, which was operating in the region. We, there are a lot of errant missiles fired by Hamas that fall within the, the Gaza itself. Nobody tells the stories, and that, that a lot of damage could be done by their own against their own. They don't care whether they kill their own. They want people to die. They live to kill, and Israel sometimes has to kill to live. No but the about distinction, that. it couldn't be more fundamental. And here, you see the rush to judgment against Israel, how quickly uh, the, the media and others are, are rushing to, to denounce them. 
when in fact who else sends you know the the, the leafleting and makes the phone right. calls and well the stories from the uh, Gaza hospitals are the go-to story the last couple of weeks I mean every report seems to be from a hospital they station but... themselves there and, but they but you got to listen to the reports of how they call up from their hotel to the IDF saying I know they launched from here they just launched a missile from here please don't bomb because we're in this building <laughs> They call the IDF and tell them it. They go to the hospitals. You know who's in the in those hospitals? The Hamas leadership operate out downstairs. The spokesman was speaking from Wafa Hospital during this week. That they, they they built their infrastructure, the tunnels underneath, because they know that Israel will be hesitant. And there came a point when they were shooting rockets from within the hospital that Israel targeted exactly a point where they were shooting from. Is there going to be collateral damage? Absolutely. Is it regrettable that children and women die? Yes. Hamas is responsible, not Israel. What about the $15 million in humanitarian aid? Was that a good or bad decision by John Kerry? $47 million. It's 47 right. Oh, excuse me. The entire humanitarian package is $47 million, right? Right. Um, I don't know who they're going to give it to. They say they're going to give it to UNRWA, but you see that UNRWA, is, is, which is their only real channel, um, I hope Congress will will condition it in a way, and I'm and I know that Kerry wanted to do something. I don't think the money's going to flow that quickly, hopefully, and that they will be able to to make sure that it goes for real needs. Uh, that uh, a rebuilding Gaza after this is going to be uh, an impossibility for a long time. I think first of all, and, and you got to deal with all this infrastructure. Are you going to leave the tunnels? The big development this week that got so little coverage and to me was most significant was when Tony Blinken, the deputy head of the National Security Council, and now European leaders and members of Congress have called for the de- that part of the deal to settle this now, any kind of ceasefire longer term, is the demilitarization of Gaza. Right. That's the only answer to make sure we don't come back to this in two years, three years, is that there be true demilitarization, de- uh, meaning that the infrastructure of tunnels will be destroyed. It means that the rocket manufacturing will be destroyed, and the people then maybe will be free to bring about a, uh, a regime that will be, uh, won't be a terrorist Hamas regime anymore. Finally, Malcolm, we land in Israel with Nefesh Benefesh, and we learn that not only were hundreds coming from North America, but France and other areas of the globe have been represented uh, in this past week, uh, over 1,500 Olim, if you add everybody together. And uh, we are looking at what's going on in Europe with a very keen and concerned eye. Can you, uh, can you describe for us the situation that Jews in Paris and other places in Europe are in right now and what the future will bring? Well, those who have listened to the show for the last few years, or many years, know that Ten years ago, eight years ago, I, I said that there's not going to be a future for the Jews in Europe, that these, this was inevitable when you look at the demographics, you look at the imbalance between the Muslim population and Jewish population, the radicalization of the Muslim populations, and by far not all Muslims join this, etc. Right. But uh, the, the nature of the demonstrations, the slowness of the police to respond, the uh, widespread nature of it, and and now we get reports. In fact, Norway today said that uh, they're warning about 50 guys who are leaving Syria, trained to carry out terrorist attacks abroad, and that they know that Norway is one of the uh, targets. Well, all of their support for terrorists, maybe they should be a target, but we certainly don't want to see any civilians and people hurt. But the threat of these thousands of guys in Syria carrying American, European, and other passports who will be able to travel and are now trained as killers, are going are posing a, such a serious threat to everyone, and the uh, situation in Europe 
what we saw in Toulouse, what we saw in, in Brussels, it's only the tip of the iceberg. I don't want people to panic, and I'm not saying that you know it should be sudden uh, outflow. But we see that uh, that the number of Jews leaving France has significantly increased, and it will reach perhaps 5,000 this year. Uh, many, many French people have homes in Israel already or elsewhere, uh, planning to leave to other places. It, it is going to be more and more widespread, in, even in Great Britain. You see it in other countries. Uh, that the fact that you can't walk with an outward Jewish manifest, uh, something that shows a mug and David or a yarmulke or other things, it's inevitable. But the handwriting was on the wall for a long time. And the, the, I think that the police are, are unable even to cope completely. They don't respond when the synagogues are surrounded with people. And now the, the French JDL has essentially been reactivated and is expanding, and they're doing their own uh, defense um, uh, programs. Yeah, the uh, the Zurich story we heard from last Shabbos, the police basically begged them to move the event because they knew they wouldn't be able to deal with the thousands of protesters who were coming in. And everywhere that there are events, we had demonstrators outside of our building yesterday for the IDF the day before. This is often, unfortunately, uh, also Jews of um, Jewish Voices for Peace who are voices for, for anything but peace. Uh, and are disgraceful in their activities, and we've seen the marginalization of other groups, uh, people were touting, and when we see that, in fact, when it comes to the bottom line, they're not there, and that they uh, always they demand that, the, that, that any manifestation, you know, takes into account and, and uh, puts Israel and Hamas on equal footing. Uh, those groups have to be isolated in our community. There has to be a willingness to stand up to those who seek to divide us, to those who undermine Israel's case. It doesn't mean people can't be critical or disagree in, in time. Right now it's war, and Israel people we have to stand it. Our message can't be clouded. It has to be very clear where we stand today, and everybody has to stand behind Israel, because this is a battle for our future. What these terrorists are showing us coming from the Middle East now, they're not going to Israel. They're going to go to Norway. They're going to go to France. They're going to come yep. to the United States. They're going to go to to uh, Great Britain. It's only a matter of time. Rally is Monday. Rally is Monday, 47th and 2nd. By the way, Malcolm, before I say goodbye um, and thank you, uh, I thought it was rather obvious from the way I was presenting uh, last week's um, uh, situation where you were, weren't able to join us. I, I thought it was obvious that people were reading between the lines just how high level a meeting you were having in Washington. We don't have to go into details about that. I'll, I'll handle that part. But with that in mind and knowing that, uh, that you've been involved in some really high level talks in the last few days, can you confirm? Can you in fact comfort us by saying that the United States Israel relationship is as strong as ever? The United States Israel relationship is very strong. It is uh, the cooperation on the security and military levels continues very high. Iron Dome is the best tribute to that relationship. Uh, America was the only country that voted in the United Nations for uh, for Israel against the resolution uh, condemning Israel. And uh, as I said, Samantha Power made a strong statement there. You know, obviously, whenever there's a tension or a hint of a tension, and sometimes people misspeak and even public officials can can uh, say things that they would regret later, but uh, but uh, we have to, and that doesn't make news when Israel and the United States stand together. And I think if you listen to the words of the Prime Minister, you can have things like the FAA, which gets everybody excited. But on a day-to-day basis, there's so much good going on because they want to target America. <laughs> any, anybody with any brains knows that this is America's war as well. And Israel's fighting for the West in this uh, conflict. And if 
all the countries had stood up that way, whether it's the terrorists in Syria, terrorists in Iraq, the terrorists in, uh, in the Hezbollah, and all the others over the years. And you see the interconnection and the uh, in correlation to Iran of all of these activities, which tells us why they cannot be allowed to have even a hint of a nuclear power. Because if they share the technology on rockets, believe me, they'll share the technology on nuclear weapons as well. So I would say the U.S.-Israel relationship, the American people are with Israel in very strong numbers, as good as we've had, and they get it, despite the distorted media coverage, despite the misrepresentations. Malcolm, I thank you. Uh, the rally is Monday. We encourage everybody to be there. Next Friday we will speak two weeks from today. The o- this is the only two reasons we wouldn't have a weekly update. If we're broadcasting from Stay Road, which we're doing two weeks from now, or if you're at a high-level meeting in Washington. Otherwise, we will speak on Fridays. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We pray for the peace uh, for the people of Israel. And, of course, uh, we, we our thoughts with all the families who are suffering, as too many families are sitting shiva this week in the Holy Land. Malcolm, thank you so much. Friday morning broadcast, JM and the AM on this Erev Shabbos.